You know, you've, you've never been different sober, but I want to continue smoking with you. I like smoking with people. Yeah. Um, it was like that time I... No, you weren't there. I came over on New Year's and we were playing that card game. Every card. <laughs> every card. Okay, so every card about doing drugs or getting drugs from your friends Captain Death. went to Captain Death. And I did not take it offensively. I am a product <laughs> of my livelihood. Um, There's and, and there. almost every card also about like meaningless sex, which is just like my friends know me so well. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I really felt like a piece of shit on New Year's, <laughs> and then I came into that party, which wasn't a party. Like let's let's lay it out there for all the listeners that have been at that party. Uh, that was not a party. No one was drinking. It was a bad time for everyone. Why was no one drinking? I, I don't fucking know. Everyone was sitting on Was couches. there, like, drama, like, before you got there? I don't think so. Wow. Okay. Oh, but, man, uh, I, I don't know. That gave me a kind of reality check. And I say that as we've been discussing my alcoholism and drug <laughs> use in the past. And I'm, and I'm stoned because this is lots of pasta. And, lots of pasta. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm here with... Django. That's good. Yeah. I was trying to imitate how you would do it. Um, Django. Yeah, you got more baritone. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Django. <laughs> um, so this is lots of pasta. And uh, step number one, ladies and gents, is Django Phillips is holding up a finger. It's the middle it's, finger. It's, fuck it's, you. Fuck you. No. Fuck you, listeners. <laughs> so, uh... Step number one is, you know, I hope you're comfortable, and I hope you got your drugs handy, because this episode, I want you to, like, trip fucking face. Literally. Okay. Literally take your listening device and go into the bathroom, put a towel under that, under the cracks in the door, and then, like, turn your shower on to, like, 75% hot. Yeah. And hotbox your fucking bathroom. I like it. Continue listening to this podcast. Get a plastic bowl <laughs> and get a broom and put it over your fire alarm in your apartment and then crack the window and just smoke out the window and like smoke out in the parking lot so people underneath your window get a residual eye. Do that. Do that for this episode. I like it. You know, the way it started, it sounds like you were giving instructions to like start some kind of like gravity bong and I was like, whoa, I didn't know Django Phillips those, was those like into so gravity. Fun, Have you done yeah. it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. See I didn't take you for a gravity so bong fun. individual, but you uh what you were talking about there was being considerate about yeah, smoking. You know <laughs> <laughs> you have to make sure your apartment's very clean. And uh, you know, you don't want to set the fire alarm off. So yeah, I hope you're nice and baked. Uh because you know these episodes are so much fun. We we kind of tell like realistic stories. That's kind of the thing. This is your fifth episode. We've been doing this since episode one, and we yep. still have fifty pages of material. It's fucking awesome. This stuff is ongoing. I don't do a series with like anyone else. Um, I have I have the material. Just no one no one wants to. They just want to want, want to read troll pasta. They have you, wanna, have you listened to wanna, any of the recent episodes? They just want to hit quit the, it because the troll pasta has been dreadful the troll pasta doesn't get better but <laughs> but the creepy pasta does the the reddit no sleep kind of stories like those ones have gone up yeah um i would say everything from like yeah i would say everything from 16 onward has a relatively good vibe cool um big hitter stories yeah this is episode 31 so this is probably not going to be up till like, fucking May or June, you know? You're but, hearing um, us in the future. Yeah, Whoa. this is the past. Marty! <laughs> We're going to start... And then Marty comes in and he's like, Marty... Doc, <laughs> why the fuck would you build one? There's so much just fucking plutonium. I don't know, Doc. Doc, <laughs> where are we going to get the plutonium? Yeah. 
<laughs> One of my favorite movies. That's great. Oh, the movie's fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, and I know so many people Ooh, who have Can we take a, a quick detour to yeah. talk about movies? No, we're, we're still with... Horror we're themed? Still, we're still within the first, like, okay. ten minutes. So, yeah, definitely. So, I'm always behind the eight ball on movies. I've never seen any movies, as Captain Death knows. Like, yeah. if you ask me about... Yeah, no. The, it's the last two episodes. Very famous movie. Yeah. Haven't seen it. So, Green Room... Fucking love that movie. Loved it. Wasn't that great? Such a great movie. Yeah, that oh, was, was one great. of the that was one of the best horror thrillers in 2016. Yeah, hands down. Yeah, yep. I put that that's up there to me with the new Blair Witch and like Autopsy of Jane Doe. Best fucking horror thrillers yep. of the last year. Because you're like, let's make a monster. Let's make a vampire or a zombie. What about a fucking skinhead? Yeah. Because they exist. Oh. And they're in control of the government. Oh. That's Patrick Stewart. Basically. Right? Fucking awesome. That that role was so crazy really for good. him. Yeah. So crazy, but I, I fucking loved it. I just saw, in the last week, I finally got around to Neon Demons, which is um, Nicholas Reffin, I think. I think his last... Wendig. Yeah, he did Drive. Um, okay. He did Drive. He did... Uh, Oh, yeah, the Valhalla. Valhalla Rising with Mads Mikkelsen. Fucking amazing. This dude makes good movies. Uh, I was watching it with Terry the Tickler. Great art house horror. Okay. The Eyes of uh, the eyes of My Mother, The Eyes of Your Mother. Uh, new, new art house uh, horror released in 2016. Fucking amazing. Like, I know these are a little bit left field because it's kind of the art indie scene. No, but, but I feel like yeah. you'd be into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Eyes of Your Mother, uh, Neon Demons, and then I just saw, um, in theaters, I just saw The Cure for Wellness. How was that? Uh, Gore Verbinski, going back to his horror thriller, uh, tapping into the ring a little bit. Uh, it was very Fincher. Okay. Which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was like Hitchcock and Fincher had a baby together, and it was basically a remake of the Dracula story. Which okay. I know surprises a lot of people when I say that. But it's not... It takes the bare bones of Dracula, which is like weird dude living on top of a hill mm-hmm. and kind of has this weird power over people kind of thing. Um, and there's this weird kind of operation going on. And it's very Hitchcock in the sense that we're just following this character the entire movie. We don't see any other scope. We don't know his history. He kind of he's so selfish. He dip, dips back into it as the movie goes on. Yeah, and. Um, you just learn more and more. It's a two and a half hour long movie, though. Wow. There's there's so much that could have been cut, but then you look at the cinematography and it's just physically just like, what the fuck? Like, just so much weird imagery. And um, the the twist is great. I'm, you know, I know I already said, like, Dracula, and it's not like a... He's definitely not a vampire, but there's this weird supernatural kind of thing. Um, science-y, though. Uh, okay. That ends up taking place in the final act, and so you recommend? Uh, I fuck. I fucking loved it, and I know it's not getting good reviews. Yeah. Uh, but then again, I've loved almost everything Verbinski has made. I, Rango is one of my favorite animated movies of all time. Rango. Rango. <laughs> yeah, no, they do say that. In the movie. Do they? Yeah. Rango. It's a it's a spaghetti western. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I yeah. fucking love Rango. Um, Ring. The first Ring is great. Okay. Um, he did like the first American did, Ring. Yeah, the American Ring. Um, gotcha. And then he also did, uh, I think, all three of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, and the second one is also like top-notch fucking sequel making. Okay. Uh, yeah, cool. great, great thrillers, great art house thrillers and horrors that have come out in, in the last, uh, you know, year. And uh, Green Room is indie. Yeah. Green Room was yeah a twenty four indie funded. Really good stuff. Yeah. I also like to watch a lot of Magnets um, indie horror as well. It's always really, mm-hmm. really great quality stuff. Uh, is there is there anything else that's been going on? We're seeing Get Out tomorrow, though. Oh, yeah. I think I'm Pretty seeing exciting. that on... Uh, I would I would have fucking saw it tonight, but um, fucking... I, I'm not going to say his name. I'm not going to say... Because I don't have to play the fucking theme song. I don't have to play the fucking theme song. I was supposed Just to say his name. I was supposed to say... It to see it with uh, Disco Dracula tonight. He said he went to the gym and he was Django's dancing. Even though there's no music playing here, but he's knowing that I'm going to put the music in and then I'm going to cut it now so that 
You sound awkward. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to cut it like three seconds ago so we, can just, so we can just hear you moving on this couch because it's going to pick up. Good. 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 Oh, man. Okay. Um, so we, we digress. We've been, we've been stoned and joking and talking about movies, which is pretty much, it pretty much happens on every episode. It's, sure. it's kind of our um, update of this week with... The people on the show, like what's going on in the world or what great entertainment-wise is out. And like we love to talk about movies, video games, um, music, that, everything. One hundo. Yeah. One hundo. <laughs> um, so because we run with kind of realistic stories, um, we're going to read a Reddit No Sleep series. It's just a short series. Um it takes place in three different and actually disjointed parts. Like, they're not linked to each other okay. on Reddit. Um, but if you come across them, you could read them in sequence. And since I've started from the beginning, I've actually collected all three. Cool. And then I did a search to make sure there was no four or five or right, right, anything right, right. else. It, there is a very definitive ending, apparently. Um, this is Confessions of a Deep Sea Diver from Reddit No Sleep. And I feel like the reason I grabbed this is because of the... Um, U.S. Forest Search yeah. and Rescue Ranger, um, Rescue Rangers. <laughs> They're uh, the series we've been doing, which is very, um, it's very similar to a kind of like diary. Yeah, you know. So this, I feel occupational, like this real life, kind of run, yeah, yeah. run, run yeah, with yeah. Real, realism. So this is Confessions of a Deep Sea Diver, found on Reddit No Sleep. I recently left my job as a deep sea diver. I work for a large company that offers diving services ranging from salvage, underwater demolition, ship repairs, and search and recovery. They are a reputable company and are considered safe and reliable. So much so that they are often contracted by the government. Truth be told, I'll miss working for them. The people I worked with were truly the best of the best. But there are only so many unexplainable things you can witness in the deep before you decide to stay out of the ocean forever. Here are some examples of the secrets many divers take to their graves. On the way to a job, we were contracted to perform, our propeller became felled. I suited up and prepared to make a quick dive to remove the fouling. I did a brief inspection and located a thick line wrapped around the prop in the shaft. I notified the supervisor, who then lowered a canvas bag with the tools I needed to cut it off. I hung the bag from the shaft and began freeing the propeller. It didn't take long. <laughs> You're waiting for me to say something about the shaft. I, you know, at first I thought, you know... Um, I notified my supervisor, who then lowered his pants to let me stroke the shaft. <laughs> but then it said cut it off, and I was kind of, like, compelled not to say anything at that I just point. have a four-year-old's, like, sense of humor. No, I like, just... feel, you don't have to tap me. Definitely feel free to, oh, to yeah. break in with your own commentary. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right now, I'm kind of only thinking, like, um, what, what do they call those um, online games that deal with, like, movies, but they're not, like... What? Okay, so because I'm gonna have to talk about it now. Yeah. Uh, J, uh, I think J.J. Abrams um, and Matt Reeves have been doing that with all of the like Cloverfield. Games. Oh, ARGs. ARGs. That's Alternate reality games. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ARGs and uh, Cloverfield. Cloverfield's AI, ARG was about them waking up the uh, Clovey at the bottom of the ocean. Okay. You know, I'm a nerd, so naturally I'm just like, oh, that's that's a giant sea monster. I would love to hear about a giant sea monster in this Yeah. Story. That'd be great. I think we might be getting it. I think we might we, be getting we, it. We, be, we might have Or it. ghosts. Or uh, skinheads. Underwater <laughs> yeah, skinheads. Skinhead. <laughs> Nazi propeller. A Nazi submarine. I hung the bag from the shaft and began... Perf- <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> oh, fuck. Just start from <laughs> and began the propeller. Ah. Uh, I hung the bag from the big black shaft and began freeing the propeller. It didn't take long, and I returned to my tool bag. I noticed a strange crunching sound when I dropped the tools in the bag. When I looked in the bag, it was full of large shells, many of which I had just crushed. After getting out of the water and stripping off my gear, I began examining them. The shells had what appeared to be hieroglyphics etched onto them. I learned from one of the senior guys that this wasn't common, but it had happened to several of them before. On one other occasion, we were recovering a military aircraft. When we arrived, naval ships were on scene waiting for us to recover it for them. We were quickly briefed that they had lost communication with the pilot and wanted us to recover it so they can investigate. I was sitting in comms and logs, communicate with divers and monitor depth and bottom time, when the divers reached the project. 
They reported that the plane was intact. We were all surprised. The supervisor asked how extensive the damage was, and they explained it was completely intact, as in there was no visible damage at all. It was just resting on the bottom. Even stranger, the aircraft canopy was still in place. That means the cockpit is still sealed. In other words, the pilot did not object. But there was no sign of the pilot. We recovered the plane and the military took custody of it. And we never heard about it again. I don't know. I, I, I probably don't talk about this uh, enough with anyone. But um, I scuba dive. What? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually I'm a master water open diver. And um, I've been diving since I was like 12. When, when he was talking about like max depth and stuff, like I just think about like what's the deepest I've ever been, which has to have been like 75 feet. I think I, I averaged out at like 78. We actually got to swim down near a plane that was landed, that was taken from a junkyard and specifically put into the ocean next to a reef for diving tours. As shitty for the environment as that sounds. Yeah. But it made for a very interesting habitat for certain animals after the couple years, and I remember seeing both an octopus and an eel on that dive, and it was really cool. So, I'm like, this story is like, relatively accurate so far as like knowledge yeah, yeah. that's some cool fucking color content. yeah I, I don't I don't talk about it to anyone because yeah. I've only ever done it with my family and it's not something we can take pictures of you know like I'm sure there are boat pictures like me right. on a boat but it's just like who the fuck likes that yeah yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah. well if you ever find something like a like a skinhead submarine yeah, no skin yeah, sitting yeah. in an airplane in the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, yeah no, the uh, the coolest thing that's ever happened to me was um, sharks. I could talk, I could tell a horror story afterwards about barracudas and sharks. Alright. Yeah. I witnessed another strange occurrence from Topside at the location of a planned demolition. It's necessary to explain that one way you can keep track of a diver is to watch their bubble stream. When a diver inhales, the helmet's demand regulator provides air from their umbilical. Then when they exhale, it's exhausted into the water and floats up to the surface. On topside, you can watch the bubbles to get a general sense of where the divers are. Now on this occasion, we were hundreds of miles from land, and we had placed two divers in the water. About an hour into the dive, we started noticing something strange was happening. There were three distinct bubble streams coming from where they were working. At first, we assumed there was a current and it was affecting them, but soon we noticed a fourth set of bubbles coming from a distance. It stopped about 20 feet from the divers, near the other mysterious bubbles. We asked the divers, but neither of them could see anything out of the ordinary. Then, even from the surface, we heard a blood-curdling screech from the waters. Then silence. The divers weren't too concerned. We hear strange things all the time. Sound travels well in the water, and you learn to assume it's a long distance away. Plus, like, fucking whales and shit, dude. Whales are fucking creepy as shit. Have you seen some of those motherfucking fish? Screech, screech, screech. Anglers with a... I mean, that's, that's like, way... That's a little deeper. I don't... Feel, are they that deep? No. Have they said anything I about feel like, like I feel like you can't go that deep. No, Without, like... Well, without, like, tin canning? Like... Oh, there's no, there's, there's some huge limit suits. But yeah, like, yeah, 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 But, yeah, essentially they would go, like, anything down in, like, fucking trench. You know? Yeah. But soon it looked like the water in the distance was boiling. And it was getting closer. It wasn't boiling, though. It was countless new bubble streams moving nearer to the location where divers were working. The supervisor ordered the divers to get onto the dive stage, lifted back to the surface. The bubbles were frighteningly close now, and the divers being lifted out said they'd begun seeing shadowed figures in the distance. They couldn't quite make out what they were, though. We elected to pull the divers out without completing their decompression stops and throw them into our hyperbaric chamber. During another dive near the Bahamas, I had a frightening experience. It was my first salvage job with them, so I got in with a highly experienced diver. At just over 200 feet deep, we were examining the sunken vessel for rigging points. As I approached the bow of the ship, I noticed he was investigating a damaged portion of the hull. He swam a few feet into the ship looking around. I asked him a few times if he wanted me to tend his umbilical, his air supply hose, from just outside the ship, it's highly advisable since it's dangerous to enter a sunken ship, to which he stated no. He didn't want to enter the ship. He insisted he was on the port side of the ship, Assuming he was disoriented, I reached in to grab him. Just before touching him, I realized there were no bubbles coming from the helmet. Whatever this was, it wasn't breathing. I backed up and reported that something else was down here. I expected mockery, but there was none. The next thing I heard was the diving supervisor. Both divers, square yourselves away and get ready to leave bottom. When back on the surface, I asked the supervisor about it, 
except he refused to put his divers in exceptionally dangerous situations. He then refused to clarify. We declined to complete the salvage. I'm not entirely sure how to explain this next dive. I was on the bottom, laying on my back, staring up towards the surface. All I could see were varying shades of darkness. Suddenly, I came to my senses. I had no memory of how I got here. I realized I couldn't remember getting into the water, or even why I was here. I tried to will my body to stand up, but I realized I couldn't move. I couldn't control my body. Over the comms, I could hear Topside instructing the other diver to find me. How long had I been down here? How long had I been missing? He told Topside that they grabbed him. I tried to shout out, but I couldn't even do that. After a few frantic minutes of communication between the diver and Topside, I noticed the shadow growing clear. It was moving towards me. Topside had found him. He reached down and he grabbed my harness to drag me back to our dive stage. As he pulled me, I rolled over and got a brief glance at my surroundings. I'd been laying in a pile of human bones. Bones. One of the strangest things I've ever witnessed happened on a body recovery mission. Even I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't been the one in the water. The military had found a site in which they believed the bodies of several missing World War II sailors would be found. Are they Nazi sailors? They're Nazi seamen. (laughs) I entered the water with another diver with body bags to carry the remains. On bottom, we eventually found three skeletons. We placed them in the bags and returned to the stage. On our return trip to the surface, we saw the bags begin to move. At first, very slightly, then violently shaking and rolling. Bubbles escaped from two of the bags, and then they went still. The third bag continued struggling. We reached the surface and sat down on the deck, stripping our gear immediately. We were afraid to touch the bags, but one of the tenders eventually unzipped the moving bag. An old, frail, very alive man rolled out, coughing water. We stood shocked, unable to comprehend what we were witnessing. Still not sure what I was doing, I ran to the other two bags and unzipped them. There were two more old men lying motionless in the bags. They appeared to have just drowned. We attempted CPR, but we were unable to provide the men. The man, who was now somehow now alive, was backing away from us, screaming the horrors he witnessed. He screamed about an eternity spent burning. We locked him in a room and contacted the military that we had found a survivor. Within the hour, a military chopper was hovering over us to pick up the two bodies and the survivor. We had placed the bodies back in their bags and handed them over. The man bent over to inspect them, unzipping the bags. As he opened the bags, an unbearable stench overtook us. The bodies appeared to be in decay, as if they'd been dead and soaking in the water for a week. He zipped it back up and had them lifted into the chopper. Then we escorted him to the survivor. We could hear the screaming from down the hall. We opened the door and saw blood splattered on the walls. He was alive and screaming, but he too appeared to have started decaying. The man calmly walked into the chopper, and the two of them were lifted on board. We never heard about them again. However, I went back and examined the room. With his blood, he had drawn hieroglyphics on the walls. I'm still not certain of what I viewed, but there were a few things that seemed to stand out. Waves, flames, and bodies. There was a tremendous amount of them on the walls, but shortly after I walked in, our supervisor began scrubbing the walls. He refused to let us examine it any further. I've heard rumors about the keepers of the deep. I've wondered about them for quite some time. I believe they are the link between many of our stories. Their myth within our team is seldom spoken of. But here's what I've gathered over the years. We are not meant to roam the depths of the ocean. And when a diver loses his life in the deep, it doesn't stay that way. They are cursed to forever roam the oceans. And when they find the living, in an envious rage, they will bring you back to the depths from which they came. Yeah, okay. It got a little uh, Lovecrafty, and it did. It, it, it did, end, yeah, which, it which I can't. Me. I can't complain about because I, I absolutely adore Lovecraft. Um, oh man, where do I start? I've dived in like four different sections of the Caribbean to Central America waters. All of this just sounds really fucking weird, but like honestly, there's something absolutely fucking terrifying about being down there, and like I can tell you that. I'm also, like, paranoid in my fucking living space, so it's not like anything is different when I'm underwater. Usually I'm high. I haven't not dived high in, like, a long time because it just calms my nerves, and then I'm just like, yo. <laughs> like, I'm just fucking sifting through that shit, and I'm like, yo, fish. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
you get you get too paranoid to let anything bad happen, honestly. And it's better to just like constantly be watching your gauge, just like, oh, my ear's great, I'm good, depth is cool, yeah, like I'm cool, hey, fish. Um, yeah, stories. Um, I could think of three in particular that are um, creppy before I get into my part. Um, Bring the crep. Make some creps. We're outside Mexico. We had. The boat ride out was maybe like an hour and 15 minutes. It was nuts. It was really out there in the okay. ocean, but it was to a specific site, specific roof. You know you have to have this kind of buddy system when you're down there. Yeah. While we were diving, we like my guy stopped us and did this kind of like wave with his hand, and he was basically telling us that like we were approaching heavy current. My sister's light as fuck. It takes a fucking belt of weights just to get her to stay down, like even with a... a buoyancy rig and she's floating and all of a sudden she's just fucking gone she's just fucking gone dude and all of us are just like where the fuck and my mom is just like holding on to her because we are passing through like a giant fucking turbine of current and i was so your mom had her yeah no but she was she was drifting yeah yeah she was drifting like physically like above and behind because i'm like looking i'm like Because I get down there, dude, I'm usually like six inches off the floor and I'm just looking at fucking everything. Right. A couple years later, we were in the Bahamas. I've dived like 16 or 17 times. Barracudas, man. Like, there's a reason Finding Nemo, like, fucking antagonizing. Because they are are considered, like, I know the sharks get this kind of, like, bears of the sea kind of accurate, you know, uh, analogy. So if that's that, then, like, barracudas are like the wolves. Of the ocean, and I shit you not, they're the creepiest motherfuckers. They're like 80s horror slasher killers in fish form because they just bob behind you. They do not fucking move. The water just floats them towards you. They do, and then they dart at shit. It's just nuts, and their teeth are, they're fucking ugly too. They're gross. And I'm sitting here, my brother wasn't good to dive, so it's me with my stepdad, my mom with my sister. And of course we're in the fucking back. And of course these fucking barracuda, like six or seven of them, because they have a pack mentality, are bobbing behind my fucking sister. And I'm like, yeah, she's tiny. Stay the fuck, like, I'm like, I'm like doing the shaker, uh, this underwater, like, communicating mechanism that helps, like, carry a sound to get people's attention to my dive instructor. And I'm just like... (laughs) <laughs> I did like a Pac-Man eating hand towards like a small hand, which is like my sister. And my dive instructor is just like, he just kind of nodded us forward. He was yeah. like, yeah, you better, yeah, keep up. Stay in the stay in the huddle of people. There had to have been 20 people in the group. I've only w- gone on two or three like solo dives with like two or three people. So would, would the Barracudas have... It's usually have... a fucking tour of people. Down right, there. right, right. Would the Barracudas have... Attacked? Like, is there I any point think, where I they get enough when numbers? Came, no, when I came back up and talked to him, he was like, they do that, it's creepy, I know, like, the guy, the guy dives, like, he worked there, he dives yeah. there all the time, like, he's a master who was hired to do this shit, and he was like, it happens, they're just creepy, I've never seen them hit anyone, right. I've never seen them gone towards anyone, they will get really close to you and it'll freak you out. But they, I, I've never seen them attack anything but fish. He okay. said he said he has seen like four take down a fucking grouper at one point, which is nuts because yeah. they're huge. And then my first and favoriteest story to tell is when I was uh, I dived in Disney once in the Living Seas, like the uh, okay. the section where you go, you go on the ride and you could see all the fish. That's actually an aquarium that you could dive in. You could pay. Oh my god! Okay, and. Um, like, the Finding Nemo thing happens, and then it drops you off at the dive place where you can go to that restaurant and look at people diving and shit. Right. Um, I dived in there, and I was doing all this funny shit in front of the mirror, and people were, like, clapping and pointing at me. And I was like, yeah, I'm the fucking number one. Because I, I was, f- like, 12 or 14. You're the shit. So I was just, like, this fucking doughy, cute kid just yeah. making funny faces about eating food in the mirror. Or in the window. Oh, it was great. Uh... In this kind of closed-off space, you don't really need to partner. You could just... It ha- it wasn't huge. You could look across the entire fucking thing from right. one end to the other. There was nothing obstruction. There's this little underwater thing that you could go into, and it has like an air pocket so you could like take out and talk to people if you're in the same little underwater UFO thing. So I get down there, 
And I see my stepdad and he's just like, yo, did you see the shark? And I was just like, no, there's a shark in here. I was, I was fucking around with the sea turtle for a little bit. And he was just like, he was like, no, there's a shark. And I think the dive instructor is, is like watching it. And I was just like, you're fucking with me. You're fucking with me. And he's like, no, go. My stepdad's a real fucking dude. And, um, of course I'm just like bullshit. And I'm like, I'm like right in the middle of the tank. I'm looking around and, uh, and I don't see shit. And I, and I start hearing that communicator that, that just carries across the water. And so what, what it, you just it's shake a shaker, the water? It's a shaker with a plug in it. Okay. And when you move it, it's, it makes a wood block kind of noise in real life. Underwater, it just it hollows. Okay. And it sh- because there's air in it, it shoots out the same noise underwater because it's at a frequency that can carry it. Okay. And it, it produces this kind of underwater like horse clop. And it's just like, um, like the coconuts in Monty Python. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I turn, I, I do a 360, and there's a shark 10 feet away from me, staring me in the fucking face. My instructor's laughing. He's just like, he's just, he's just like, and I'm just, I, I shrugged. And, uh, and he does this, and I'm, I have my hand up real high, and I'm just slowly lowering it. He just does that to me like three times and I'm like, and so I let out air in my BCD and I just exhale and that carries your buoyancy all the way down. Cause there's air, right, right, right. there's sure. air in your vest to keep buoyancy up yeah. and weights to hold you down to this center of gravity. And you, you have to kind of equal them out at one point. And I just let out all my air and I sink to the fucking bottom. And this thing just glosses right overhead of me, like five feet above me, just so it was fucking nuts, man. I, I fucking love sharks. They're so crazy. So they they put a shark in the tank. There are there are non. They've never been lethal. They said they are right. they are fed dead. They've raised in captivity, kind of thing. Holy shit, that's awesome. Um, sharks, sea turtles, tons of really cool seahorses. It was the first time I saw seahorses. Okay. The coolest things I've seen in the wild: octopus, eel, crustaceans, weird crustaceans. But barracuda are, f- are fun to see, honestly, but they're terrifying. Yeah. Um, never seen a shark in the wild. Never seen turtles in the wild. Dolphins. I've seen dolphins. It's probably... Dolphins are cool. Probably good that you haven't seen a shark. At least a big one. In, in the, the wild? wild. Yeah. yeah. No, that's why I will never dive in Australia. Yeah. My mom uh, is just... Uh, great reef. Great reef. We need to do it. We need to do it. <laughs> because it's just number one. It's just yeah. number fucking one uh, outside the Bahamas. And I'm just noping that. I'm just noping that on the nose. Make a good story. It, <laughs> getting my legs bitted off would also make a good story. <laughs> this know? is a story about how I got my legs bitted, bitted off. off. And then something on Reddit would be like, this is unrealistic. Unre- and then I have to take a picture of my fucking missing legs. Uh, so this is the part two of the Confessions of a Deep Sea Diver. Before I share anything further, there are a few things I'd like to clarify. I received an astonishingly large amount of comments and personal messages since the post. Several <laughs> Django's giving an airway signal to his... He got dick pics. He got dick pics from this post. <laughs> nice. I love divers dicks. <laughs> I love divers dicks. <laughs> Several people pointed out to me that there are probably very few people with experiences like these. And of those people, even fewer could say that they've recently left their job. Therefore, there are probably a lot of people out there who already know who I am, or could figure it out easily. That being said, I still believe that everybody deserves to know. First, I'm going to answer some of the most common questions I've received. Yes, I've experienced a lot of terrifying things in the ocean, but when you consider the amount of dives I've made, the experiences have truly been far and few between. Basic information about our dive gear. While it does vary based on the job, we do have a standard we typically use. We are hard hat divers, meaning we wear helmets, not scuba. It is surface air uh, supplied air. We have an air system on the surface which runs through an umbilical cord down to the divers. The umbilical attaches to the helmet to supply the air. Woven in with the umbilical are our essentials. Without getting too technical, there's a line to air supply, electricity for a light, communications, and essentially a uh, depth gauge. Additionally, we wear a tank on our back as an emergency gas supply. It doesn't contain much, though. Just enough to get the surface in an emergency. 
We don't use rebreathers for the work we do. We do, however, occasionally use a full face mask instead of a helmet, or a scuba if it's more practical, but it rarely is. The Keepers of the Deep. I've never found any information about them online. The only people I've heard discuss them were the members of my team. I've been told other teams had had run-ins with them too, but even the guys on my team are hesitant to speak about them. I'll answer more questions as they arise, but I'll get back to why you're really here. While working on an oil rig, we were utilizing an ROV, it was Cloverfield, ready for it. Imagine a small remote control submarine to do inspections. We'd been hired to inspect for structural damage or deficiencies after the rig had com complained of abnormal vibrations. During operations, the ROVs are tended from a line that offers power, a strength member, and transfer video and sonar images back to the topside. As the ROV descended into the darkness below, we began to notice thin scratches along the surface. At first, it was barely enough to rip the marine growth off of the metal, but as we got deeper, the scratches turned to gouges. As we descended even deeper, we began to notice that the scratches appeared deliberate. We pulled the ROV up close to inspect. There, before us, were images. There were hieroglyphs carved into the metal, and they were fresh. The deeper we got, the older the carvings appeared. They were corroded and partially covered in growth. Whatever was making these carvings was working its way up from the bottom. Then the ROV stopped responding. It began shaking back and forth. We lost power to it. We tried to pull it up by tending to its line, but it seemed stuck. Then we felt it, tugging against the line, but it was coming from the ROV's side. Something was pulling it deeper. Two more guys jumped onto the line and struggled to pull it back up. The line began creaking and parted. We pulled up the remainder of the line, but the ROV was gone forever. The supervisor was then left with the task of figuring out how to report our findings to the oil company. One incident took place about a year ago. During a salvage job, we were in the process of installing the rigging gear. While facing the ship, with my back to the open ocean, I hadn't noticed anything approaching. Suddenly, something smashed into the tank on my back hard. I was slammed into the ship, flattened against it by force. I turned around and there was nothing. I would later learn that I had several bruised ribs from the impact. After reporting to the other diver and topside, we were told that they were going to pull us. We got back onto the stage and started being lifted towards the surface. We kept our eyes peeled, scanning into the not-too-distant shadows. During a compression stop, we began seeing a shadowy figure circling around us. We continued to monitor it as it got closer and closer. We began to see it more clearly. There was a massive shark circling us. Now, I've never been afraid of sharks, but there's something about being circled by a massive shark in the middle of the ocean, dangling from a chain, that could instill a new phobia in the bravest men. Keep in mind we aren't in an enclosed cage, just on a platform to stand on. It felt like being served on a platter. It eventually circled close enough to see its features, but I didn't recognize its species. It was bigger than a great white with entirely different coloration. Oh my god, it's the fucking shark that killed Steve Zissou's partner in, <laughs> in, a, in a, Is he gonna the kill Wes it? Anderson movie. Well, I mean, Bill Murray kills it. Oh, no, he doesn't. That's the point of the movie. He lets it go. He, lets it go. he learns forgiveness. He does. Steve Zizu. Zizu. Life Aquatic, that's what it's called. Great, great multipass. Movie. That's my favorite part of the movie. When Steve Zizu goes out of the airport, he's like, multipass. That's my favorite. I fucking hate you. <laughs> it was mostly... It's <laughs> a fifth element? It's a fifth element reference in our podcast! <laughs> it was mostly black with a few gray features. It continued eyeing us as we sat there helpless, praying to be left alone. By the time we completed our decompression requirements, it was nearly close enough to touch. The stage lifted us up and out of the water, relieved that the shark had not decided to find out how we taste. On surface, we deduced that the shark had lunged at my back, but had only managed to hit the emergency gas supply cylinder. We did another dive, this time in crystal clear waters. And something, and there's something nice about getting a job in waters where you can actually see your surroundings. The visibility was over 100 feet. We got to the bottom and began work. There were two missiles that had been ejected from a military aircraft and had not detonated. 
We were briefed on their location and told they were not armed and would not detonate provided they were handled appropriately. We located them much easier than expected and began preparing to rig them up. Just as I laid my hands on the first missile, my dive buddy said, Oh shit! My stomach dropped. I don't care how many times you've worked with an ordinance. I sincerely believe you will always have that uncomfortable sensation in your gut and nervousness in the back of your mind. I looked up and realized he wasn't talking about the missile. He saw a wall of sand rising in the distance. Something, hopefully just the current, was kicking up the sand from the bottom of the ocean. But the wall of sand was growing and was just about 30 feet tall. Even worse, it was approaching us. Sandstorm. Come on, Sandstorm. <laughs> Soon it was upon just us. doing like the first three notes. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to describe what bad visibility does in the water. It's not a matter of not having enough light. It's a matter of too much crap in the water blocking the light. Imagine if you can that this fog is... <laughs> and, now, and now all I'm thinking about is those not necessarily... <laughs> Shitty mummy movies, but Brendan Fraser. Where he's in the biplane and the, the wall. Listen, I'm not a mummy historian. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, imagine fog, but imagine if you can, the fog is thicker than anything you can And I think of mummy. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about fog so thick that you could have a flashlight pointed at your eyes for a minute. I'm gonna have to play it underneath us so that we don't sound like idiots. Good. Oh, I'm talking about fog so thick that you could have a flashlight pointed at your eyes from an inch away, but you are completely blind to it. That's some thick fucking fog. It's fog. That's what bad visibility is in the water. The moment the sand hit us. <laughs> we were engulfed in pure darkness. I placed my hand against my faceplate, but couldn't even see it. After a few moments, we began hearing a metallic scraping sound. Then, as swiftly as it arrived, the sand was gone. We had crystal clear waters again, except that there was no sign of the missiles. I had been within arm's reach when the wall of sand hit us, but now even feeling around under the sand revealed no trace of them. The next incident occurred during a humanitarian job that we volunteered to perform. After a portion of bridge collapsed over 50-foot deep ocean waters, we volunteered to recover the vehicles and hopefully the bodies. By the time we arrived on the scene, the collapse had taken place just over a week ago. We spent the first day surveying the area and developing a plan to lift the most we could in the week time frame we had available. By the start of day two, we were actively pulling vehicles off the bottom. It was a difficult job to say the least, but not because of the effort required. The state of disarray in the cars was heartbreaking. These weren't military pilots or sailors lost at sea. These were families on vacation or people commuting to work. It was hard to say what was harder. The cars where we found an entire family, with the parents' seatbelts unbuckled and them in the backseat having been trying to unbuckle their children. Or... The cars where the parents got out, leaving the children buckled in the back seat. I tried not to imagine the panic that had been going on inside the cars as they flooded from broken windshields or windows as people frantically tried to escape, but I couldn't forgive those that left their family to drown. Each day we moved on to a new section of cars, and on to the fourth day we started noticing several of the cars had their doors open and nobody inside. We were happy to find easier work, especially under the assumption that the tragedy had been lessened by people escaping the wrecks. That is, until I began rigging a minivan for removal. The family inside hadn't been so lucky. As I ran slings through the van and prepared it to be lifted, I noticed the other diver inspecting the rigging gear. He began undoing one of my shackles. I asked what he was doing, and the response was not what I'd hoped for. I'm checking this truck for bodies. I felt the familiar sick-in-my-gut sensation. Slowly, I crept over to the diver and turned his body toward me. It resisted, but slowly turned its face towards me. Its faceplate was fogged up, and I fought my better judgment. I leaned in close, and I wished to this day I hadn't. It was dark, but I could all too clearly make out the features, rotting flesh. The person wearing this helmet had long since passed away. I lost my confidence, starting to scream. 
My comms were blazing, divers and topside were frantically trying to get my attention, but I was focused on only one thing. I was scrambling backwards away from him, but I had fouled my umbilical rigging gear in my state of panic. The thing had again returned its focus to the minivan. As I frantically cleared myself from the slings, I noticed the telltale lack of bubbles coming from the helmet. It was opening the minivan door and reaching inside. As I swam away from the van, I watched it grab one of the passengers and drag them into the darkness. This is when I began to realize I might not be cut out for working beneath the seas. I continued diving for longer than I know I should. The entire time, the thought lingering in the back of my mind, I need to get a safer career. Okay, so I have a question. Yeah. What what happened to the diver? Like, he went down with a dude. And then the dude... The dude died? Died down and, there? And then something took over his body that made it decay just as Became fast as Became a zombie the, diver. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Yeah, yes. I mean, I'm not buying into that so much as I like the, um... I like the shark story. I like the yeah. shark one. That one was good. The shark story almost doesn't seem like part of the same series because it's it's completely 100% realistic. But I the, feel like that's just it's just like the ranger stories like the the varying yeah. spectrum in the same story just makes it sound like the less believable things are just a little bit more believable because of the context they're presented in. And um we've gone from stairs in the middle of the forest to creepy insect noises yeah. and and cats. True. You know, so and it's like, like People freaked out, but nothing happened. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dead bodies and shit. Like, that's that's natural, so you're going to find that shit. Yeah. I remember one of the best comments on, like, I think part two was, um, if you see stairs down there, don't touch them. What, um, part two of this? For the confessions of a deep sea diver. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just started seeing stairs. Okay, so this is going to be part three <clears throat> of the, uh, and, and last part that I know of right now. Um, you know, we could always cover it later if uh if i stumble across more but um this is part three of the uh confessions of a deep sea diver from reddit no sleep this is part one this is the same text as part one. Oh shit is it yeah so there wasn't maybe they just reposted or it's repeating itself i don't think so i don't think it's that kind of that kind of meta okay my bad i'm just i'll just cut all that then so there's two parts so there's two parts. Two parts. That's, you know, but, you know, we could talk about it. Um, what did you think? I liked it. Obviously, the the comparisons to the Ranger stories yeah. are evident. So I'll just make the comparison right now. What I liked about it, above the Ranger story, is the is the common thread. His whole thing about trying to explain, like, the Keepers of the Deep. And, like, hieroglyphics kept popping up in a lot of the stories and whatever. I liked that there were common elements throughout that kind of tied them into a bigger narrative. Um, on the same token, I dislike the fact that, you know, and we talked about this when we first started talking about the Ranger stories. I feel like the, the scope of what he's trying to do with the search and rescue stories is so small. He's trying to say, here's some weird kind of stuff that happened to me, like take it or leave it. Whereas this guy is a little more aggressive and being yeah. like, here's some supernatural shit that happened to me. Yeah. Like, it fucking happened. I, and I don't work anymore. Because and I don't work anymore like, and, like, I'm a real person. There's that kind of there's that kind of undertone to the search and rescue stories. Because yeah. he, he, I don't think he talks about it like he still does it, does he? Or is he? No, he's still active, isn't he? I don't know. He, he, he mean, started talking He about talks it. about all this stuff in the past I don't think tense, he's don't quit know. yet. He just talks about wanting yeah. to quit from some from some stuff. Okay. Whereas the Deep Sea Diver one is, you know, definitely more aggressive. You know, definitely. like Yeah, he was just like, I need to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is enough bullshit. And uh, who could fucking blame him? Derude? Sandstorm? Yeah. Sharks? Mm-hmm. Mexicans? Hieroglyphics? Seem, Nazi semen. Big black shafts. Really, that's enough <laughs> those for are, Those are the take-homes. Yeah. yeah, those are the take-homes for yeah. me. Yeah, and all of those are no's. <laughs> Hard no's. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're going we're gonna to end the episode with a couple of the uh, search and rescue stories. Uh, like, as per usual, this is the... We're now starting the spin-off stories. This is told from the same guy... But it's a retelling of other rangers' experiences. Okay. So he kind of has this narrative 
I'm, I don't have any more weird stories to tell, but I know a lot of people who now, because of this, are starting to tell me their weird stories. Cool. So this one is under the title of Ranger KD Stories, which is actually what it's found on, like, separate Reddit's No Sleep threads called Search and Rescue Stories. Awesome. Um, so, yeah. All right. Uh, so- definitely take it away. The first she told me in response to my asking about her most traumatic calls. She shook her head and told me that really bad calls happen more frequently on the mountain, since the potential for nasty accidents is higher. About five years ago, one of the parks she worked at had a string of disappearances. It was a bad year, she said, one of the worst on record as far as weather went. They were getting about a foot of new snow every couple days, and there were a few avalanches that killed some climbers. They'd warn people about staying on the mapped areas, but of course there's always those who don't listen. In one particularly nasty case, an entire family got wiped out because the father decided he knew better than the officials, and he took them out into an area that wasn't safe. They were snowshoeing, and as best KD could figure, they'd walked onto a shelf of snow that looked solid but actually wasn't. It gave way, and this family went ass over tea kettle almost 300 feet down the slope. That's a great saying. We talked about it on your first episode, I think. Did we? Was it in yeah, the story? Yeah, it happened in one, in one of your first two episodes. Fucking ass over tea kettle. We, uh... It's just fun. It's old-timey. It gave way, and this family went ass over tea kettle, almost 300 feet down a slope. They landed on the rocks at the bottom, and the parents died instantly. One of the kids did as well, but the other two survived. One had a broken leg and fractured ribs. The other was almost unharmed, save for some bruising and a sprained ankle. The uninjured child left his sibling behind and set out to find help. Katie said the kid didn't make it more than a half a mile before the storm overtook him. Kids stopped trying to get warm or maybe just to rest, and ended up freezing to death. They ended up finding the family with the help of some witnesses who saw them heading out into the wilderness, and she was just the one to find a kid who frozen to death looking for help. She said it had started to snow, just enough to obscure long-distance vision, but not enough to make searching impossible. She said she saw a figure sitting in the snow up ahead, and she got to it as quickly as possible. She described in detail how, as she got closer, she realized first that it was a child, Second, that they were deceased. And third, that they had frozen in one of the most pitiful positions she's ever found a corpse in. The kid was sitting upright, with his knees tucked up against his chest. His arms were curled around them, and his head was tucked up in his coat. When she moved the coat to look at his face, she saw that he died crying. His face was twisted, and the tears were frozen on his cheeks. She said it was painfully obvious that the kid was terrified when he succumbed to hypothermia, and as a mother, it broke her heart. She told me repeatedly that she hopes the father is burning in hell as we speak. That one hurt. That one was that, that one was tough. Because dark. as as you were reading it, I was just like, you know, honestly, as a kid, I think the most acceptable way to die would be freezing to death. Because, like, drowning is just too fucking much. Fire is too fucking much. Like, the nicest way for a kid to die from natural effects is probably freezing to death. It's or, like, falling. Like, like... As long as you I don't know, going, I, I would think going to sleep is better than actual pain. So you just want to go to sleep cold and not wake up? Essentially. All right. There's some kind of peacefulness to that, yeah. as fucked up as it sounds. All right. The other traumatic story she told me about that stood out in my mind was one that happened when she was a rookie. Her team got a report of an experienced climber who hadn't come home the previous day. His wife was convinced that something bad had happened because he'd never failed to come home on time. They went out looking for him and had to climb what sounded like some very technically challenging parts of the mountain. They got to a relatively flat area and Katie started seeing blood in the snow. She followed the trail and as she went she started seeing little bits of tissue. I don't know if she means Kleenex or human. She wasn't sure what exactly what- Well she means- well, she means human. Does she? She means body parts. What about bloody nose? Dude got a bloody but, nose. But it's obviously so it's a horror. I'm just it's a horror story. Sh- sh- <laughs> so it's obviously sh- sh- no, but obviously he was little bits like, of tissue. I don't think anyone at home is like, oh, she maybe wasn't they sure mean- exactly what body part it had come from. <laughs> I just needed one more sentence <laughs> for the context to set in. Um, but the farther she followed it, the more there was. She follows this blood and tissue trail to a sheltered area under a cliff face, and she finds the climber. She said there was so much blood, more than she'd ever seen before. He was lying face down, one arm stretched in front of him as if he died crawling. She looks closer and sees that he's been partially disemboweled, which is where the tissue she'd seen had come from. 
The guy has an ice pick tucked in his hip holster, and it's covered in blood. Of course, they'll never be sure exactly what happened, but she said as best as she can figure, this is what went down. The guy had been attempting to climb up to the next area and been using his ice axe to ascend. He'd probably hit a loose patch and fallen on the way down, or possibly when he landed he'd gotten impaled by the axe, and it had bis disemboweled him. He'd drug himself along, tearing pieces of himself out as he went, and had died under the cliff face. She isn't terribly bothered by gore, but I guess a few of the guys who came to help her remove the body threw up when they turned him over and got a good portion of his intestines spilled out. That's fucking gross. Oh. <laughs> that was good. Uh, yeah. No, I, you know, I I feel like that that's much more likely to actually have been found in the... Oh yeah, in the forest. That has literally that someone is, has, has died happened. from a climbing axe. That has axe happened from, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I mentioned to her that I was interested in hearing about any experiences she had with people completely disappearing. Her eyes lit up, and she leaned in close to me. Want to hear a real doozy? She asks. She tells me about how, when she first got started, there was a case that got a lot of attention in the media. A family had been out berry picking in an area of the forest very close to the entrance of the park. They had two little boys both under the age of five, and at some point during the day, one of them vanishes. There's an absolutely massive search, and they find absolutely nothing. It's another of those cases where it's like the kid was never there in the first place. The dogs just sit down and don't pick up anything. No trace of the kid is found. The search goes on for about two months, but is eventually called off. Fast forward to six months later. The family comes back to place flowers at a memorial that's been set up for the kid. They bring their other son. While they're placing the flowers, they lose sight of the kid for about three seconds, and in that span of time, he vanishes into thin air. Now, obviously, the parents are beyond devastated. It's awful enough to lose one child, but to lose two is beyond imagining. The search is huge, one of the largest in state history. There are about 300 volunteers combing every inch of the park looking for the kid, but again, there's no trace of him. The search goes on for about a week, with the people looking miles from the part of the park he vanished from. And then, almost two weeks later... A volunteer almost 15 miles from the designated search area radios in that he's found the kid. They assume that the kid was dead, but the volunteer says he's not only alive, he's in good shape. <laughs> he's, he's been lifting weights, he's been, moving, he's, he's been jogging. He's <laughs> the been, volunteer he's, says he's been eating a lot of kale. He's not only alive, he's looking swole as fuck. <laughs> Katie and her team go out to recover the kid, and when they get there, they, she can't believe that this is the kid that's been missing. His clothes are clean, there's no dirt on him anywhere, he doesn't appear to be traumatized. He's hot as shit. Yeah, man. The volunteer says he found the kid sitting on a log, playing with a little twig bundle that's bound together with some old rope. Katie asks him where he's been, who he's with for those two weeks, and the kid tells her he's been with the fuzzy man. I know a couple fuzzy men myself. <laughs> now, Katie firmly believes in Bigfoot, so she gets all excited and asks what he means by fuzzy. Was he hairy? But the kid says no, he wasn't hairy. He was a fuzzy man, and he describes a man that's blurry, like when you close your eyes, but not all the way closed. He says the man came out of the trees and took the kid with him deep into the woods. The kid says he slept in a hollow tree and the fuzzy man was giving him berries to eat. Katie asks if the man was mean, if he scared the kid. And the kid says, no, he wasn't scary, but I didn't like how he didn't have eyes. Katie says they get the kid back to headquarters and a cop takes him into town to talk more about what happened. She's friends with the cops that talk to him. And she said the kid described being kept in the street by the fuzzy man and given berries whenever he was hungry. He was allowed to wander around a very specific clearing, but when he tried to go further, the fuzzy man would get mad and yell real loud, even though he didn't have a mouth. When the kid got scared at night, the fuzzy man made it go brighter, and he gave him a twig bundle. He said the fuzzy man was going to keep him, but he had to let him go because he wasn't, because the kid wasn't the right kind. He either can't or won't elaborate more on that. Cops are just sort of left scratching their heads, and the search for his brother is renewed with no results. The kid has no idea where his brother might be, and they never find him. <laughs> it's like a wood slender man story. Yes, <laughs> it's it is. Great. It's just great it that you read it. Is you know he uh, he could he could have this kind of um, vibration mirage that I've that I've seen used in like Marble Hornets, you mm -hmm. know, or even in the video game. It's it's mentioned. I don't know. Could have been Slender Man in the woods, but or, it's a nice Slender Man. No, I mean Slender Man has you know uh, 
What's what's the real takeaway? He takes you to another dimension. We don't know what happens there. Like he fucking turns you into a murderer. I don't know. That's only when he proxies. I'm talking about like when he actually steals a kid. What does he end up oh, doing with him? You know. I wouldn't surprise me if he's just know. feeding them fucking cat and crunch and he's hiding in a closet, you know? <laughs> and he's like, hey, don't go there. Hey! 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 hey, 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 hey what are you, in the oven? Come here. What? Come hey, 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 no, 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 no. Stay, no, no. Come on. No. Come on. The last story that KD told me was of something that happened to her when she got separated from her training group when she was a uh, rookie. I almost said a Wookiee. <laughs> <laughs> They were That'd learning. be a fuzzy man. That would Dude, fit. that is a fuzzy man. That would fit man. description. We got it. Now we know why. Now we know he, <laughs> he was like, eat these fucking berries, kid. But really, he was like, <laughs> The kid was like, I've seen stars. I got this. Yeah. It's Chewbacca. They were learning the basics of high elevation, belaying on a well-mapped side of the mountain. And she had to use the bathroom. She went off about 50 yards from the group during a meal break and did her business. 50 yards? I just, I really gotta, I, I gotta take a, I gotta take a steamy Half shit. Half a football field. I gotta take a steamy shit and I can't let anyone smell this. I'll tell the rest exactly as she told me. So I go to take a piss. No And once I'm done, I start going back to the group. But I've only gotten about five feet when I realize that I have no idea where I am. And this wasn't a, oh, I got turned around lost. I mean, I had literally no fucking clue where I was. If you asked me, I don't even think I'd have been able to tell you what state we were in. It was sort of how I imagine people with amnesia feel, you know? What are you laughing at? I know. Like I mean, my woman tone. My womanly tone. You're completely lost, and you have no idea what to do. She's like a search and rescue agent. She's like a 16-year-old girl. This is like her first job. She's not 16. (laughs) I'm 24. (laughs) So I stood there for a while, just trying to figure out where the fuck I was and what I was supposed to do. (laughs) But the longer I stand there, the more confused and turned around I get. So I started walking. As I recall, I just picked a random direction and went for it. And as I'm walking, I'm just getting worse and worse to the point where I have no concept of why I'm on the mountain in the first place. I'm just trudging through the snow, and then I start hearing this voice. It's kind of like inside my head almost. Like if a frog could talk, all low and croaky. I love this. And it's telling me over and over. It, I don't even know how to attempt this. Oh, it's okay. It's, it's, it's okay. It's okay. She's a black guy. It's okay. You just need to find something to eat. Find something to eat and you'll be okay. Just keep walking and find something to eat. 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 So I start looking around for anything that I can eat, and I swear to God, I have never felt that hungry in my whole life. It was bottomless, and I think I had eaten just about anything you put in front of me right then. I had no concept of time, so I had no idea how long I'd been out. How long I'd been out when I hear an actual voice coming toward me. I go toward it and see one of the other search and rescue officers, and he looks fucking terrified. He's running toward me, asking if I'm okay and what the hell I'm doing out here. And the scary thing was, as he's running towards me, I kind of see myself reaching onto my belt for my hunting knife. I'm not even really thinking about what I'm doing, but what I'm thinking is that I have to eat. If I don't eat, I'll never be okay again, so I just have to eat. He sees me doing that, and he backs off right away. He yells at me to put my knife away that he's gonna, that he's not gonna hurt me, and that kind of snaps me back. All of a sudden, I know exactly where I am, and I put the knife away. I run to him and ask him how long I've been gone, thinking he'll tell me I've been gone for a half hour or so, but he tells me I've been gone for two fucking days. I've gone over two peaks and ended up almost on the other side of the mountain, and if I'd kept going, I would have ended up wandering into about 300 miles of wilderness. They'd never have found me. He can't believe I'm not dead, and of course I don't know what the fuck to think. To me, no time has passed at all. I don't say anything, I just go back with him to a rendezvous point and take him back to headquarters to be airlifted to the hospital. When I get there... They do all kinds of tests and try to figure out what happened. 
As best as they can guess, I had some kind of weird fugue state, which is kind of like amnesia or a weird seizure that knocked my brain out of whack. But the truth is, we really don't know. It's never happened again, but I'll tell you ever since then, I never go out there alone. People rag on me for making them come with me when I have to leave the group, but I just tell them that listening to me piss in the snow is better than losing me for two fucking days on a freezing mountain. Bitch. <laughs> no, Katie, Katie got some sass. She got, she's spicy. Katie was lost on a mountain for she's two goddamn spicy. days. Yeah, yeah, she was. Oh, so that's all we're going to do on this episode oh. of, uh... Let's approach to, you know, Django Phillips, I have to, I have to ask you how, do you, how do you feel? How do you feel about this episode? Oh my god, so good. <laughs> we saw... You're in a state of euphoria. We saw... Yeah, a little bit. We saw <laughs> sharks. We talked about, ooh, barracudas. We had uh, a big long shaft, and we got it free. God damn it, you always gotta talk we got about a, shaft. Um, we had a little bit of a... We really covered a, literally a lot of ground. And I'm, I'm happy about it. It's good scope. Yeah, it's good. Good it talk. It's good. I always enjoy reading reading these stories, you know, this kind of vein. But, uh, you know, you know we're going to have to tackle Dogscape eventually. <laughs> <laughs> you just, keep, you know, just keep fucking putting it off. You know, it's like, we're going to have to do a Dogscape special, <laughs> you know? Like, we really do. You know, I think uh, we've definitely, we read more than 20 pages worth of material tonight. And yeah. I think, I think Dogscape is just about 20 pages. Dogscape is manageable. My only question is if it's all good enough to put, like, it, you know, if it's all to the same standard to put in a podcast. I've only read log one and log, like, 20. Okay. So I really don't know what to make of it. Fair. Is it, like, an alternate reality thing? This is the thing. He's on a fucking planet, and the planet's made of dogs. Okay. No, that's all you had to say. We're, we're Yeah, we'll save that for your next episode. Yeah, all right. Fair enough. Yeah, so next time, Dogscape. Ooh, I'm excited. Are, I feel like this is the right... actually, though? I actually am legitimately excited. I feel like this is the, this right, is the right time, time to tackle it. I was going to say, what else are we going to do next? Uh, we, we would just do randos if you did... If if we come to, you know, two weeks from now... I'm just going to ballpark. Yeah. Like, two weeks from now, we, we sit back down and you say you don't want to do Dogscape. Like, really, when else are we going to do it? <laughs> no, we're going to do it. We're gonna do <laughs> Eventually. It. I'm going to find a brewery, a craft brewery, that has, like, a dog as his logo. And, and I'm gonna, gonna get, bring a six pack. Excited. Yeah, and I'm gonna be like, and I'm not gonna drink it. I'm gonna be like Captain Death. Listen, <laughs> there's this one weed that they Fuck. make out in Oregon, and they put dog stickers on it. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna have to buy it. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. I'm looking forward to the day. Yeah, it's gonna be nice. Gonna be uh, any any final any final words? Yeah. Uh, don't stop believing. All right. <laughs> That's that's it. That's it. I got nothing. You know, yeah, I, I, I I got nothing. I got nothing. nothing. Uh, I just you know I I think to myself, and it's not the first time I've thought of it actually. Uh, you know, I always want to end the episode by saying like, hey, thanks for listening. But like, the truth is, it's like you're welcome because like <laughs> this, is, this is this is good programming, and you are in our presence. <laughs> so from all of us <laughs> you are the audience to all of you you're welcome it's <laughs> perfect that's a good sign off you're welcome Two to the one, to the one to the three I like the pussy and I like the tree smoke so much weed she wouldn't believe and I get more ass than a toilet seat three to the one to the one to the three I met a bad bitch last night in the D let me tell you how I made a leave with me conversation and